Good day. I'm Bob Davis with the American Society of Addiction Medicine. Thank you for joining us for the special edition of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Did you know that alcohol is the most used intoxicant in the world and the repercussions of unhealthy alcohol use are of corresponding magnitude? A six-fold increase in all-cause mortality and a 6% of all overall deaths. In use of alcohol which is the most important risk for ill health among working age people worldwide. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Lewis Nelson. Dr. Nelson is professor and chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine and director of the Division of Medical Toxicology at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and University Hospital in New York, New Jersey. He's involved in many important ASAM initiatives and is also involved with the CDC, FDA, DHS, and other medical organizations recently co-authored a paper entitled Emergency Department Management of Patients with Alcohol Intoxication, Alcohol Withdrawal, and Alcohol Use Disorder. This white paper can be found in the January Journal of Emergency Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Nelson. Thanks for having me, Bob. Doctor, when should alcohol withdrawal syndrome be suspected and how is it diagnosed? Well, alcohol withdrawal is a tricky diagnosis to make because uh, it's not always obvious who it is uh, that consumes alcohol to the point at which they might be at risk of having withdrawal. I mean, we have some screening tools that we use, such as the Odyssey or the CAGE. Um, many EDs and other practices screen patients for unhealthy uh, alcohol use, um, but often it's not obvious who patients, um, which patients might actually be at risk. Um, alcohol withdrawal is a syndrome which means it's a constellation of clinical findings for the most part, but it has to occur in somebody who has heavy, unhealthy alcohol use. So the place to start is by asking those sorts of questions and trying to understand people's uh, recent and, and somewhat long-term alcohol consumption pattern. Um, again, there are some tools that we use. Um, we look for clinical signs that might suggest that the person has alcohol withdrawal, meaning uh, they're hyperadrenergic, uh, uh, their heart rate's high, their blood pressure's high, they're sweaty, things like that. But the diagnosis is tricky, too, because there are many mimics of things that look like alcohol withdrawal, metabolic problems, even opioid withdrawal can sometimes look like alcohol withdrawal, as can intoxication syndromes like with cocaine or amphetamine and certain metabolic syndromes as well, like thyrotoxicosis or 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 glucose-related diabetic problems like hypoglycemia. So um, it has to be suspected. Uh, that index of suspicion issue always comes up. Um, and then the questions have to be asked to sort of direct the rest of the conversation. Oh, see, I see. So what medications should be used to manage patients with alcohol withdrawal along the spectrum of severity? A little bit of it depends on where you are when you're managing the patient, but if we're going to focus on the emergency department, I think our first line of treatment is always going to be an oral benzodiazepine, um, particularly for mild and, and moderate withdrawal. Uh, we like benzos because they're proven. Uh, they've been used for a very long time. They have a fairly good safety uh, and efficacy uh, uh, spectrum, and I think we feel very comfortable with their use. Uh, this is... Um, often, uh, depending on the patient population, changed or supplemented by another non-benzodiazepine agent, uh, such as carbamazepine or gabapentin, uh, at the point of discharge, if that's where we're going to go. And we could perhaps talk about that as well. Uh, but we do like the oral route for people who are mild to moderate and are able to take by mouth, because it certainly reduces 
the and well proven to reduce the dose of, of benzodiazepine required and the the duration of the withdrawal syndrome, and it also reduces the need uh, to admit people that are admitted to the hospital to the ICU. For patients with more moderate or or perhaps severe alcohol withdrawal, I think intravenous benzodiazepines are probably still the drug of choice. And many people are looking at either monotherapy with barbiturates like phenobarb or and we've done for as we've done for a long time, adjunct therapy using barbiturates to, to sort of reduce the benzodiazepine requirements because high dose benzos are associated with a bit more of a delirium than you'll see from the barbiturates. The problem with the barbiturates is that they not they don't have nearly the track record. In fact, we used to use barbiturates back in the 1950s before benzodiazepines came out. And when benzodiazepines came out, the, the overwhelming sentiment was that they were a better drug. And we're sort of looking back a little bit and, and given the changes in healthcare and 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 you know access and things like that, we're we're revisiting the benefits of of phenobarb as a monotherapy. But still to this day, I think that um benzodiazepines are the drug of choice. So so oral. Um, if, if possible, even for more severe patients, if you can get them managed with oral benzodiazepines, I think the benefits I've already highlighted about oral or intravenous stand. But certainly if people can't take oral, either because they can't take oral or because they're too sick to be managed with oral medications, then intravenous is probably, it is definitely the best way to go. That makes sense. Um, which medications to manage cravings should be offered to AUD patients being discharged from the emergency department? Uh, we like to use naltrexone probably as our go-to drug. And naltrexone, uh, orally in most cases, mostly because of the cost and some of the um, the limitations of giving the intramuscular version, such as preauthorization and cost. Um, but oral naltrexone um, has shown nicely to reduce the number of days of drinking and and the the cravings associated with. Um, um, uh, not drinking, uh, not necessarily with, with, with withdrawal, but um, the cravings associated with uh, not having access to uh, alcohol. Um, it does so probably through non-GABA mediated mechanisms, perhaps through, through some of the effects of the endogenous, benzo, uh, endogenous opioid uh, system in our brain. But naltrexone is probably the most widely used and, and easiest to utilize um, anti-craving agent. Uh, most of us don't really like to use benzodiazepines to suppress craving. I mean, they do they do that uh, probably safer than alcohol does. And we don't usually send people out and say, go out and drink, although that's the reality that most of our patients face. Um, but we don't really like to use benzodiazepines. They do carry some baggage um, associated with them, such as the potential for, you know, uh, uh, co-use with alcohol leading to respiratory depression. And, and there is a certain diversion concern that we have. Um, some people have looked at other drugs um, to treat uh, uh, the cravings, such as, uh, um, you know, to pyramate or, or sometimes a GABA, uh, um, of Alprocast or Gabapentin. The problem with those is that they're just not really widely utilized. And there are some concerns about um, uh, their use in terms of, again, diversion and, and misuse uh, amongst themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So which patients with AWS are at you know, risk for AWS are appropriately managed as an outpatient and which require inpatient management, doctor? A little bit of that depends on the patient and on the system you work in. 
the, um, the, the clear answer, I think, is people who are too sick to be managed to an outpatient needs to be admitted to the hospital. And, and depending on the system that you like to use to, to assess severity, uh, many people like to see what the what protocol, the CWA score or scale. Uh, and most will say if, you're, if your CWA score is greater than a 19 or so or equal to a 19, we would not let those people go home readily. Uh, not, not without exceptionally good um, follow-up, either directly to an outpatient treatment program or, of course, to an inpatient treatment program. Um, I don't love the CWA score in the emergency department. It's a little hard to use. Um, there are barriers to its use, such as time. Um, it's a fairly subjective, not an objective scoring system, um, which, which you know, leads it sometimes leads us a little astray in a, in a chaotic environment like an emergency department. I do prefer the RAS, um, which is the Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale, which is a bipolar scale that will allow you to assess how severe somebody's withdrawal syndrome is. Um, I think anybody with a RAS greater than two, which kind of means they're a bit on the agitated side, particularly if they're not easily managed with a, with a benzodiazepine, I think those people need to stay in the hospital. Uh, we tend to keep pregnant um, patients in the hospital because obviously of the complicated management strategies and the risk to, to the patient and um, to the developing uh, fetus. Um, some like to look at scoring systems like the PAUSE, uh, which predicts the severity of development of alcohol withdrawal on, on a fairly you know, reasonable time scale over the next 24, 48 hours. Uh, they'll say somebody with a PAUSE of four or greater probably needs to stay in the hospital. Uh, we also look at certain attributes at the time in the ED. So for example, uh, somebody who comes in with a history of severe withdrawal in the past, uh, we know that even just that um, severe withdrawal alone is a predictor, but also the fact that kindling occurs and severe withdrawal in the past leads to continually worsening withdrawal syndromes. Bad withdrawal in the past is a marker for bad withdrawal in the future. People coming with high blood alcohol concentrations in withdrawal um, are concerning to us because we know as their alcohol level falls, their withdrawal will continue to worsen. So the severity withdrawal at a blood alcohol concentration of zero is in the general range of where it's going to be. But if they come in and they have a withdrawal and they're in withdrawal and their blood alcohol level is elevated 100 to 200 milligrams per deciliter, we know they have a long way to go till their severity maximizes. So all of those people need to be admitted. Most of the others, social circumstances, et cetera, all being okay, could probably be managed as an outpatient. Gotcha. So what are some of the key considerations when discharging a patient who presented with alcohol intoxication? Well, the key issue to be managed as an outpatient, it comes down to some extent to what we like to think of, of course, as social determinants of health. Can they access care when they leave? Do they have family support? Do they have a place to go? Um, if they do, um, are they able to, to self-manage or at least have family support to manage their care? Can they return to the emergency department or the hospital if the withdrawal syndrome worsens or if there's a, a um, another concern that arises? Uh, related or not related to the withdrawal? Do they have a safe place to go? For example, do they have access to an outpatient management program, a withdrawal treatment facility that might be able to provide ongoing care? Now, of course, outpatient treatment programs vary fairly widely in uh, capabilities and, and quality and, and approach. Uh, we have to make sure we feel that the patient's able to access the care they need. That's very specific to that patient's social determinants and, and needs. Uh, we often will be able to provide them with some psychosocial support before they leave, motivational interviewing, et cetera, but making sure that they get they can get their withdrawal managed 
um, in, I think we'd like to think of, you know, an ASAM um, um, appropriately um, a level care unit, uh, usually the lowest intensity that's needed uh, would be something that would make us feel more comfortable sending the patient home. But it really comes down as, you know, once the severity issue is taken off the table, and we've already talked about admitting many of those patients, it comes down to many of the social constructs that we all have to, to, to live within. Dr. Nelson, thank you for your time today, and thank you for your service to ASAM on these important matters. It's my pleasure, and thanks for having me. Thank you, listening audience, for joining us today. All the links to the paper and other ASAM resources can be found in the show notes. This is Bob Davis with ASAM, and thank you for treating addiction and saving lives.